The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour as the mega cap meltdown claims yet another victim. Can Apple and Amazon save the day for big tech? We'll get you ahead of those critical earnings reports. And one of our committee members makes what we think is a pretty stunning trade. Joining us for the hour today, Amy Raskin, Josh Brown, Jenny Harrington, Joe Terranova. Let's check the markets, as we always do. We're just past 12 in the east. Uh, Dow is green. Everything else is red except for the 10-year. Uh, the 10's, 10 years higher, yields lower, 393 is where we are there. But the Dow is holding on to a nice gain. NASDAQ, the point of contact today, obviously, given uh, what we've gotten over the last couple of days from Microsoft and Alphabet and now Meta. That's down 1%. But, but what I said was what we think is a pretty stunning move here, given his history of dislike, frankly, for the stock and the company itself is Josh Brown, who bought Meta. Josh Brown. You actually did it. I'm kind of surprised. Regret. I know you were teasing. No, I'm going to regret this. I know you were teasing, <laughs> uh, you know, that you might do this, and you actually did. Why? Yeah. Uh, I bought it like eight o'clock this morning. I didn't buy a lot. It's not, it's not that meaningful of a position, but, uh, last night on closing bell overtime, I talked about some of the similarities between this situation and Netflix and, you know, Netflix's refusal to listen to what the street was saying about doing an ad supported version to clean up some of the people that would pay for it, but didn't want to pay that much like potential customers and a new revenue stream. And they said, no, 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 no. The stock cratered. And then one day they just said, okay, if we're going to do this, how do we do it? And that's, uh, I think, the story behind a – can we get a chart of uh, Netflix up as I'm talking? Um, we'll, we'll take Meta off the screen for a second. Uh, the stock never looked back. It, it went from 180. It's over 300 today. It got into that post-earnings gap from the spring – and it is now firmly toward the upper uh, end of the, of the range of that gap. And the only reason that's possible is because there was an about face. Mm-hmm. Management started to listen to outside voices. And I think that's possible with Meta. Most of Meta's uh, wounds are self-inflicted. Um, I understand there's an advertising slowdown, and that's cyclical. And Meta and Alphabet are both too big. Uh, at this point, to sidestep uh, a slowdown in global advertising. It is what it is. They're a, a duopoly, and they're gigantic, and they are um, they, 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 they have no choice uh, but to succumb to a temporary slowdown in advertising now. Okay, that's fine. Put that aside. The, the issues with Meta, the spending, um, the, the lack of focus, mm-hmm. the lack of clarity, all of that stuff I think is fixable. I'm not suggesting... It'll be fixed tomorrow. But I think when you look at a stock that's lost $800 billion in market cap, which, by the way, is historic. It's never happened before. may never happen again. That is an incredible amount of market cap. 
uh, to lose. When you look at that and you just say to yourself, okay, so what are they going to do? Are they going to keep selling the stock down on the same news? And at any point, is management going to say, all right, let's fix some of the issues here and let's listen to someone besides uh, Mark Zuckerberg's metaverse dreams? Like, I think okay. that there is the potential now, now for that kind of a, a turnaround. Me, and, and that's why I bought it. Let me just jump in because you've, you've segued perfectly um, to the very issue of whether they'll make some of the changes that someone like Altimeter's Brad Gerstner who wrote an open letter to Mark Zuckerberg and the board suggested they make, which you alluded to, getting more fit, getting more focused. Well, I've just gotten new at noon, Gerstner's first reaction to the earnings meltdown that we're witnessing, and it speaks directly to what you're saying they should do and the fact that they don't really seem willing to do it yet. Here's what he told me. The key metrics of the core biz were pretty good. If he, Zuckerberg, kept spending basically flat, which was expected, the stock is up 10%. If he cut a little more and showed any nod to trade-offs discipline, the stock is up 20%. Instead, he chose little regard for shareholders and went all in with unconstrained spending into the face of an uncertain economy. This isn't about short-term stock moves. These decisions materially hurt his own chances of success. The best people in the world do not want to work at a company that feels like it is continually losing. Altimeter obviously supported major investments in AI and the metaverse. We simply recommended extending the runway on those investments to better match revenue and expense and avoid this huge loss of trust. He obviously disagreed with that. He being once again, Mark Zuckerberg. So, Josh, given what you said, now given what you hear from Gerstner, this is a show me that you will make some of the changes that we shareholders are suggesting you make. What are your thoughts? Well, it's very difficult when when the founder CEO has all the voting power. And that is the way that this company was set up. It's the way it came public. It's the deal that every long-term shareholder made when they signed on, when they bought the stock. Um, there are other companies in the same in the same situation. However, there are 80,000 employees uh, in that building, and every one of them is compensated with the stock. So this, you know, things that things that are unsustainable and cannot go on probably won't. So I don't think, despite the fact that he has all the power, despite the fact that Cheryl's not there whispering in his ear anymore, um, I think at a certain point the loss in market cap, which by the way, uh, in in reality on the ground is not just a Wall Street story, but it's an employee compensation story. Uh-huh. It's going to become too big, too obvious, too noticeable uh, to continue to to ignore. And so there probably will be some sort of an about face. I don't know when. I don't know what shape it will take. But if if you don't if you didn't own the st- I don't own the stock from 300, 275, 210. You know, 180. I'm not in it. So I can come in today and make the bet that this guy doesn't want to burn his own house down. Right. That's it's, it's as simple as that. Jenny, I mean, you are in it at a lot of those levels yeah. that he went down the list of. Right. So what's your reaction to what you witnessed here? So we actually initiated our position in 2016 at 116. Thank God we trimmed around 260, 230. We didn't trim as high as in the 300s. Um, we are still holding on. And it's interesting because. When I was on in September and Brad joined, I actually went back and listened to that podcast and listened to exactly his argument, which he's maintained. And so the hard thing is right now is 
some of the story hasn't changed. You still have a company that's producing $125 billion in revenues. You have revenue growth that should start to improve. It's still crazy cheap. I would actually say, you know, it could almost be in value trap territory. But you have this founder, the CEO, who is not listening and isn't reading the room. And it doesn't look like the board's decided to intercept and be like, hey, this is out of control. This isn't what the market wants. This isn't what shareholders want. And you know what? It's probably not the best route for the company either. So I'm in that really tough position of reevaluating yet again. Um, the math you know what it's like? It's like we all have these friends, right? We all have the friend who's beautiful and athletic and smart, and they've got everything going for them, but they keep dating Stop losers. Stop talking about me. Oh, come on. No. <laughs> um, I'm not, because I said they keep dating losers, and we all know that your wife is, like, the better half. You know half. what? Um, but this is like the same thing. You know, they just, they've got everything going for them, and they can't get out of their okay, own way. Okay, well, at some point, I think it's fair to ask Joe um, whether... Arrogance and hubris mm -hmm. overcome intellect mm -hmm. and overtake intellect at some point. Nobody suggests that, you know, Zuckerberg's not, uh, you know, some kind of genius who founded what is this, you know, massive company. Now, the market cap is $270 billion. It was a trillion dollars a year ago, September 7th of 21. I mean, it's been an incredible melt. But that's kind of what you get to. It's like Gerstner was trying to make some suggestions as a well-known shareholder and feels like they gave him the Heisman uh, and then some. Mm -hmm. And maybe you can chalk up mistakes that end up being made through arrogance and hubris, which overcome all of the traits and characteristics that Jenny says still exist within the business, but nobody's focusing on those today. So what Brad stated was, was perfectly spoken. Perfect. Perfect. And it is logical. And it is thoughtful. And it's exactly what this company needs. But it is not something that is being receptive from management. This is a terrible investment. It's been a terrible investment yep. for the better part of the last year. Potentially, for Josh, I hope, it's a good trade. I'm sure that Josh is not thinking about this as anything more than it being a good trade. But this is something that has been consistent for the better part of the last year. So, Scott, you want to ask that question? Well, ask that question one year ago because you're going to get the same answer. This is a company that lost its direction, lost its focus. It was absolutely crystal clear to the marketplace. And I don't understand why today, in late October, we're talking about this being a great potential investment. Why? Because it's cheap? Because the stock price went down? No, because there's something the cash called, there's is something, there. There's something called mental capital. Mental capital sometimes is more valuable than actual capital that you invest in the market. Why struggle through this mental process? It's so complicated and so exhausting when valuations have reset in the entirety of the market and in technology itself. Why do you have to turn towards Facebook, Meta, whatever we want to call it right now, and bet that there's going to be some characteristic change from Mark Zuckerberg? I think the reason is that 120, that's where it's like, value trappy, right? You see 125 billion, you see that revenues are gonna start to turn positive, you see such a low multiple, and you can't help but salivate. It's like you were asking me about the big banks the other day, and you said at these multiples, are they as irresistible? And, and I said they're irresistible to at least look at. You know, and this is the same kind of thing, and then it's like, are they ever going to get out of their way? And I think you're right, you know, maybe you're right, maybe they just can't. I don't know why the board doesn't step in and say no more. 
you know, it's not that easy to, it's not that hard to fix. Well, I mean, maybe the board is the board for, yeah, for a reason. That's right. And I know you know what I mean by that. Um, target cuts today are many. Um, I don't know. It looks like 20 of them in front of me. I'm not going to count them in front of you on, on live television, Thank but you. it looks like at least 20. Um, downgrades, I've got a few in front of me. Most market performs, sector performs. Nobody that I see is moving to a sell. I guess if you're already in the trap of, of being you know, a believer here, you're not going to go to a sell today. I, 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 wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't guess. Amy, what's your view here? Um, I actually think Josh is probably making a good trade. We don't own it and we haven't and we're not going to. It's not the type of stock that I'm interested in from a company perspective. But, um, you know, Joe's point about the mental energy, I, I don't think it's that complicated. If, he, if Mark turns and changes his mind, which I think Josh hit the nail on the head, the employee compensation would be, probably be what makes him do that. I do think the stock goes up. Um, that said, if, you know, I think Josh, and correct me if I'm wrong, he'd probably be really happy if this went to 150 and got out. You know, I don't think this is a long-term secular call that there's, there's a lot of value here. My, my, guess, just, my guess, Josh, I'll let you have the last word on this before I pivot us, uh, is you're not going to be around long enough to even see 150. No, 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 no. This is on a leash. This is how I do these things. It's a falling knife. Like, I don't... This is not how I normally uh, invest. This is a special situation for me, and it's on a leash, and I certainly am not going to struggle uh, or – to Joe's point, Joe makes a really good point. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to sit here and expend a lot of mental capital here. I'm willing to bet that he's not going to burn his own house down out of spite or, uh, you know, for, for the sake of, like, uh, I don't listen to Wall Street. I don't think that's going to be what happens here. I could be wrong. Um, and if that and if it ends up being the case that, you know, in the aftermath, there is absolutely uh, no humility whatsoever. And and, uh, you know, time goes on. I'll probably just say, all right, I'm going to do something else. So so yeah. I I I think I think a lot of risk has come out of the stock, but mm -hmm. never all of the risk. Right. So, yeah. So I pivot, I, I pivot us, Joe, if you look at, you know, Microsoft and Alphabet and then Meta and these meltdowns that we've been seeing, what's at stake then tonight in overtime for Apple and Amazon? According to Bespoke, I mean, this, there are so many startling stats around Meta and the drop in market cap that we're, we're all witnessing. They say a year ago, Apple's market cap was about 2.8 times the size of Meta. It's now close to nine times. That's amazing. OK, Apple's now at 2.3 trillion Meta, as I said earlier, is at 266 billion. Now we've had a big market cap decline run over the last year as these stocks have gotten hit. But let's take Apple first, okay? All that is riding on these reports now must have more importance given what we just got from the other three. How could they not? Well, some are suggesting that mega cap's dead. So I remain concerned and cautious. I've, I've said that before. I think the services business on Apple is, is going to decline to potentially single-digit growth, and that's clearly something to be concerned about. Um, I also believe, and I'll raise my hand because I'm one of those people that are guilty of this, that we have been intoxicated by the premium that exists in these mega-cap equities for a little bit too long, mm -hmm. and that we've remained uh, and utilized these companies as almost... You know, last year we were calling them bond proxies, but they were defensive holdings in an environment where the economy is contracting and valuations are resetting, right? So I think you look at the entirety of these mega caps and you say to yourself, okay, I own Alphabet, 
I own Microsoft. I own Apple. I own Meta. Can I own them all? Because that's what a lot of people did. And I think that's the wrong place. The market is messaging that to you. I think tonight, will there be enough from Apple and Amazon to provide confirmation of the rally that we've seen so far in October? I don't know. Probably not. I, I'm not sure that you're going to get that. Jenny, I, I wonder what the biggest question mark hey. is. Is it is it Amazon? Can they return to profitability after a couple of quarters? They've, Q1, they reported their first loss in seven years. They backed it up in Q2. Now, can they turn the ship around? Is that the one with the bigger question mark heading into overtime tonight? Probably also because it's going to be a better reflection of the consumer at this moment in time. But I think the bigger thing when we say, can they turn it around? What's turning it around? Right. Is turning it around stemming the flo- like the blood flow or and, and actually go or is it actually going up? And I would say they have the chance to turn it around just by being flat, just by being not doing anything. I don't think we need to see huge, wonderful reports from them. I don't think we need to expect or hope that they're even up 20 percent just to stem the losses. Can I get on the dead on the dead comment that you made before? Scott, we've been arguing for two years, you and I, about dead money in Apple. And I think it's interesting because the reality is, is that these mega cap tech stocks, the former FANG, they really have ultimately showed up to be dead money for the past year and change. And it's interesting because as we look at the market, they like, yes, they're dragging the overall market down, but there are still pockets that are doing okay. I know, but there are a lot of things that look like dead money if you're going to use a year um, as the barometer of, of, of what you're trying to make a broader statement out okay. of. So be careful if you go down that road. Fair enough. Right? But, but I, think, I think the point that I was trying to make is they could stay flat. They could just do nothing. And the rest of the market could pick up the slack. And that's where we see things like Cat and Honeywell. You know, they're hey, picking up the slack. Yeah. Josh? Right? I, I want to agree with Jenny. Look, look at the last two days. Google, is, Google and Microsoft, two of the biggest stocks in the world, are down 10% each. In that same period of time, the S&P 500 is only down 1%, and the Dow Jones is actually up 1%. If I would have told you three days ago that we would see Google and Microsoft down 10% each, what would your guess have been for the S&P? You probably wouldn't have said down 1%. It is remarkable uh, the extent to which the old economy is picking up the slack in the stock market as some of these massive market caps just get completely annihilated. It's it's funny you say that because that's kind of the point that Kramer um, was making today when he was watching what the Dow is doing relative to the others. Look at the Dow. This is money coming out, furiously coming out of companies that chose to lose money and going to companies with great discipline that buy back stock, that do things and make things and pay good dividends right up right up Jenny's alley. But, you know, we can get to that in a second. But, Amy, I want to hear from you as well on now is the bar higher tonight? Do we need to see uh, something extraordinary from Apple and Amazon to save the day uh, for tech or, or not? Maybe the bar's lower because now we don't really expect much of anything given what we've gotten from the other three behemoths. I think the bar is lower, yes. and But I don't think, um, I wouldn't expect these guys to save the day. Um, I, I think, uh, you know, I agree that large cap tech is overvalued, um, it's overowned, and um, it's just not going to be where you're going to generate alpha for the foreseeable future. You trimmed Apple. I mean, now it's kind I've, of a small, what, it's 2% for you? It's 2%. I've been trimming Apple all year. Um, we've had a lot of discussions about it, and, and I've been buying Berkshire, which we can talk about later, and I, the, con, you know, the contradiction there. But um, 
you know, this is the first year that I can really trim Apple. Most of the money that we manage is taxable money. And um, it's been really hard to trim it without generating significant gains. We own it much, much lower. So we've been we've been trimming all the fangs. We're very underweight fangs. Um, and we'll probably continue to do that. Yeah. So, Josh, you know, why don't you weigh, weigh in on this question? You own Amazon. Um, is that the one that you think has the, the most uh, at stake tonight? What, what do you think? Yeah, uh, this could get, I mean, I'm in the stock for a very long time. This could get really ugly tonight. So I don't feel strongly that this CEO has yet figured out how to effectively communicate um, in terms of guidance. Amazon has never really been a company that has uh, seemed particularly engaged in, in terms of like spoon feeding guidance to the street and Bezos always really got away with doing whatever he wanted as long as he had revenue growth. Um, that's no longer the case with Amazon. I think the best thing you could say going into going into the print tonight is that expectations are low. The stock has been in the doghouse for two and a half years. Nobody uh, really seems particularly excited uh, about anything they're going to hear. Um, and sometimes that's a good enough setup. So uh, it doesn't, doesn't mean that uh, it can't get worse. I think there is the potential here if they don't have good things to say um, away from away from, you know, just uh, consumer and, and retail stuff. If they don't have good things to say about trends in cloud, et cetera, this could get real ugly. Yeah, I mean, Joe, growth, web services going to be closely watched. Advertising, the tell is already in on what we've heard from other companies related to well, that. They froze hiring for well, uh, I, I know. They froze hiring for AWS, which was surprising. Right. Well, that's where I'm going next to. Um, Joe, is this, you know, look, what could we possibly hear is so great at a time where they're freezing hiring, they're cutting costs, they're tightening their belt. The former guy is talking about batting, batting down the hatches uh, because of the economy, right. right? The current guy has, you know, a lot to fix. So it's, it's consistent with, with Josh's remarks where it sounds like a lot of uh, negative conditions is, have been priced into mm -hmm. Amazon. Um, Amazon, you know, left the Joe T ETF in, in, in July um, at, at certainly a better price than it is right now. And, and I think a lot of the reasoning behind that was just the continued fundamental malaise, if you would, that it was in. I think, Scott, if there is a surprise tonight, and I, I don't know uh, if Josh would agree with this, but maybe it's a little bit more of an aggressive buyback strategy. They, they began to kind of flirt a little bit with, OK, we're going to start buying back shares. And it was a drop in the bucket. But maybe they get a little bit more aggressive. They look at what Alphabet was able to do with the buyback strategy over the last couple of years following Apple's lead. That could be some form of a positive surprise. All right. Let's take a quick break. Straight ahead, Amy is making it. She said some more moves in her portfolio, a lot of them. In fact, we're going to go through them when we come back in two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. 
Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. All right, let's welcome back uh, everybody here. Uh, Amy, you alluded to this move. You, you have like one, two, three, I don't know. You got a handful of things in front of me here. But Berkshire is one you said you bought, um, which is yeah. interesting. You, you sort of noted the irony of, of trimming Apple so much, but buying into Berkshire, which maybe, you know, you figure you can get your Apple exposure that way along with some others. Give us the, the, the lowdown here. Yeah, you can get your Apple exposure cheaper. I don't think Berkshire's trading like Apple, significantly outperformed Apple this year. Um, and I think it will because it, it really trades on predominantly on its other businesses. So we've generally sort of been making this move away from um, large cap tech. We've, we trimmed Google as well and Apple before the quarters. Um, and we added to, uh, we, we initiated a position in Snowflake for the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think ServiceNow sort of shows that um, the more nimble software related companies can do well despite what Microsoft has done. Um, and we added to Costco and Target and a few industrials as well. Yeah. Interesting, the Snowflake move. Take me more inside that one, if you would, um, because look, it's, you know, we're talking about a higher valuation stock, uh, obviously, um, one that's high. gotten yep. cut down a lot, uh, cut down, yep. excuse me, cut down, cut down a lot. Um, I'm curious as to why you decided to buy that. So it's just really opportunistic. The chart actually looks great, especially relative to the market. Um, obviously, the stock got to 400. It was down to 150. We really like the long-term prospects for this company. We think it's um, well-managed. It will be incredibly profitable. I mean, if you listen to what Microsoft said, it, their customers are trying to optimize their IT spend. We think Snowflake um, has a really unassailable position in the cloud spending um, arena and um, will help will help customers do that. So we're following what customers are saying, and um, and we thought this was an opportunity to get in. It is expensive. We don't have a whole lot of really expensive positions now, but given the pullback in the market in general, we're trying to pick our spots. You picked them in retail too, um, Costco and Target. Yeah. So Target is just really cheap. Um, you know, we're giving them the benefit of the doubt that they, that they can really turn this around and clear this inventory. Um, you know, Costco, we like the defensive nature. It's not cheap, obviously, um, but their subscription sort of business and their recurring revenue. And we think in a world of inflation, Costco really helps their customers and will benefit. Yeah. Visa, you bought it before the earnings report. Yeah, we bought Visa. I mean, generally, we think the consumer's strong. We're trying to increase our financials exposure. Um, and Visa obviously had a great quarter. Um, again, not a super cheap stock, but has you know, participated in the downdraft of everybody else, and we think um, has a nice moat around it, um, you know, with its competitors. And, um, you know, if, if I look in where I want to be in, in sort of, quote, quote, the fintech world, um, Visa is certainly the place. So you trimmed Regeneron and uh, EOG and, and Schlumberger. 
Are we talking general profit taking um, yeah. from two leadership areas? Yep. I mean, Regeneron has been a phenomenal stock for us this year. It got to be the largest position in our portfolios. So we just trimmed it. We're really, I mean, it, it did close some of the valuation gap that it had with other pharmas, but we think um, we still like the stock. It's still a big position. Energy has been our workhorse all year. We've been very overweight. We're still we're still probably at least double weight, um, but we're just just you know taking some of the winners and and um, redeploying the money in stocks that haven't held up. Okay, uh, you own Regeneron, Jenny. We do. Yeah. Yep, and we are not trimming it. <laughs> still riding it. Yep. All right. Um, all right. We will take a quick break. Check out this mystery chart. It's down thirty five percent this year, soaring double digits today, though. And a new note says. It's a new home for mega cap investors. We're going to reveal the name, debate the trade in our call of the day next. Apple adding pressure on suppliers this week with plans to track their progress to decarbonize by 2030. Nearly a third of suppliers have not committed to using all renewable energy for Apple production. Apple will also invest more in renewable energy projects in Europe and a carbon removal initiative. Corning, ST Microelectronics and TSMC are three suppliers that have made the commitment. That's your ESG Fast Fact of the Day. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Halftime. I'm Bertha Coombs. Here's our CNBC News update at this hour. Russian President Vladimir Putin says Moscow has no intention of using nuclear weapons in Ukraine. But at the same time, he also repeated his unfounded claims that Ukraine was preparing to detonate a radioactive dirty bomb. And also said at an event this morning that it was Western leaders who were threatening Russia with a nuclear attack. The New York Post's verified Twitter account was hacked this morning with a number of vulgar tweets designed to look like headlines that the since-deleted tweets contained offensive messages about New York Governor Kathy Hochul, Democratic Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, and President Joe Biden's son, Hunter. A spokeswoman for the Post said the company was investigating the cause. And Prince Harry's long-awaited memoir will finally be out January 10th. The book will be called Spare, as in an heir and a spare, reference to the fact that his brother is the heir to the crown. His publisher says his account will be told with raw, unflinching honesty and filled with insight, revelation, self-examination and hard-won wisdom about the eternal power of love over grief. Scott? Bertha, thank Back you. Over to you. Yep, Bertha Coombs, thank you very much. All right, service now. Take a look at those shares. They're surging. Best day since January of 2019. That's after posting a third quarter earnings beat. Moffitt Nathanson upgrading that stock to outperform today. And they are looking for 30% more upside. And they say, Josh Brown, quote, mega cap investors have a new home. What do you think? A new home? I, I mean, I, I guess it's I guess it's conceivable. 
I, I always have a hard time with, uh, with that kind of thematic, you know, approach and saying like, all right, this is now the next new thing that everyone's going to go migrate to do. So I, I think I'm, I think I'm a soft no on that. Hey, I think they're just suggesting, you know, um, look, they, they could deliver, you know, McDermott, CEO, rock star. And maybe this is a place that deserves your money uh, over some of the mega cap tech stocks that people have been piling into. And maybe, as Joe suggested, overstayed their welcome. Well, listen, it's, cer- it's certainly possible because the money does have to go somewhere. And uh, I, I don't know that I don't know that I would hop on that bandwagon just yet. But we'll see, Joe. Not service now specifically, well, but this, I, I, what it says about the space. I, I think Josh is right. And I, and I think overall, you still have to have a defensive view of enterprise software. Um, the economy is contracting. It, it, it's clearly in the beginning stages that economic contraction is gathering momentum. How do corporations look at the enterprise spend? Do they begin to cut back on software? And remember, in the spending cycle, software is generally late cycle for the contraction. So I I think you still have to have defensive positioning. You look at a name like Oracle, that represents what diversified defensive software companies can be. And then I also think you go back to the cyber theme, Scott. And that's been a dominant thesis for software for the better part of the last couple of years. That's you and CrowdStrike. Uh, w- without question. And, and it's CrowdStrike, it's Fortinet, it's Palo Alto. Alto. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's all of those names. There's such a fundamental Well, you element. can't cut that. No. Well, that's the thing. Joe's, Joe's right. Yeah. You can't cut, you can't cut your cyber. Like, uh, you, you, could, you could believe me that everyone, everyone in any kind of business, cyber is like the first and last topic at every board meeting. And you, it's the thing that you can't cut because if you do and something happens, you're out of uh, business. it wipes out every, everything else that you're doing. So we spend a lot on cybersecurity. Everybody mm-hmm. does. It's, it's, yep. You have no choice. So I agree with Joe. That is a defensive way. If you want SaaS in your portfolio, um, that is a defensive way to do it. Which is, Jenny, why you own Palo Alto. Right. And it's why we've been talking about this for the past quarter, where last quarter we saw CRM disappointed. Palo Alto actually had a great quarter. And we need to think about, as we get into a trickier economic cycle, where are the chief technology officers and the chief financial officers, where are they willing to spend? And they have no choice but to spend in CrowdStrike and Palo Alto. They could skimp on CRM. They could skimp on service now and get away with it for a while. So it's going to be dicey. It's why you can't just buy the software index. You know, you have to be choosy. You're choosy, Amy. I mean, Cadence, Design Systems, obviously Microsoft. We talked about Snowflake already. Splunk, Roper, um, talk to me about those. Yeah, no, I think companies are going to be looking to optimize um, their spend, and there will be companies that will benefit. And I think um, we don't own ServiceNow, but I think some of the others that you mentioned, um, we spoke about Splunk a couple weeks ago, um, which also has has assets and security and, and uh, probably a relatively inexpensive I got way of, of playing that. But, um, you know, I think there are pockets and, um, you know, the baby got thrown out with the bathwater in a lot of these companies and there'll be good investments here. All right. Uh, Josh, we're working on it. Don't worry. We got you. We'll take a quick break. We'll fix it during the break. Bring, bring Josh back in. Coming up, Meta is still spending on CapEx big time. And a couple firms think that's going to be good for a certain group of stocks, which we'll tell you about when we come back. So a check of shares of Meta uh, once again, obviously the stock of the day. 
it's still down 22 percent. Those are the worst levels since 2016. Now, we talked about at the top of the show how their spending on the metaverse is a sore spot with investors. Uh, Maybe it's a boon for chip stocks. I mean, that's what Wells Fargo is talking about today. Uh, Josh, they say is, you know, Meta is expected to be a big uh, Arista Networks customer. You've got NVIDIA, you've got AMD, uh, which makes the CPUs for Meta and Pure Storage already provides the flash storage for Meta. Should we think of this spending in a reverse way? What's bad for Meta is good for these chip names? You know, it's it's an interesting question. I don't think that will turn out to be the case because I think there is a recession happening in tech. It's not everywhere within tech, but this is not an environment where even if companies say they're going full speed ahead, I wouldn't believe them because I just don't think the demand is going to be there. So as consumers uh, have continued to move away from goods and towards uh, services, and that shows no sign of reversing anytime soon, I just don't think you're going to have a great year for um, for growth in, in the semis, regardless of any one big spending company. So I still think the semis are, are a good bet here. They are down substantially. I like them as a group. There are some names that are absolute outright buys right now. But as a group, I just think uh, share prices are reflecting a much worse situation. But that doesn't mean all of a sudden oh, you know what? Meta's going to keep spending. Let's buy more. Ch- I just, I wouldn't take it that far. That that seems uh, that seems like uh, a, a step too far. So, Joe, I mean, you do own AMD and NVIDIA. Well, what do you what do you make of this report? Does it make sense to you? So it, it, it's not just a five one sixth uh, thing between Josh and I, but his his comments are totally spot on. Um, and I and I think that overall as a group, even the price performance this week, Scott, so I sat with you um, for overtime on Tuesday. We heard from Texas Instruments. We saw the, you know, the 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 de- uh, decline for both Marvell and On Semi and Texas Instruments. And there was this resiliency the next day. SMH rallies mm-hmm. in the in the wake of that. So I think a lot of negative news is priced in. But I think you have to follow what Adam Parker has told us, where you really have to be stock specific. You have to be highly. Uh, selective. You have to study where the double ordering is actually occurring. Where is the retention of pricing power in a weakening demand uh, environment? So mm-hmm. it's it's an idiosyncratic decision on which names to own. All right. And that leads me to Intel, Jenny, in overtime, mm-hmm. which uh, maybe we'll hear from you on the backside of the, the report. Um, how are you feeling going in? Well, I think it's it's the kind of thing where, you know, you think that everything is possibly in this stock and in this company and in this sector. All the bad news. All the bad news, right? Everything is just terrible. And that's true for the semi-space overall. I think there's a bigger story, too, which Josh touched on, which is tech is in recession. And specifically, Amy and I were debating this earlier, it, um, are semis in recession? We know PCs are in recession. But if we use this as a microcosm for the broader economy, you could say Intel, Teradyne, AMAT, everything we own, these stocks have been, sorry, their earnings have been in recession. And so if the market looks out six to 12 months in advance, and if investors do, then perhaps these share prices have already bottomed. Because if you look out past 2023, mm-hmm. the earnings start to pick up. So for Intel, like you go into the thing saying like, please is that your God. Bet? Is that your bet that you think, I mean, I know you're really hoping that they've bottomed, but do you look at Joe's I know. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> it's just been so bad. Yeah. Sorry. But it's just been bad. It's been really bad. 
But you, you, I think the reality is they probably have because you can now start to see the improvement in their earnings expectations for later in 23. We'll start to see 24, and the share prices are just stupidly cheap. All right. So um, unenthusiastic, but hopeful. I, I hear you. <laughs> I mean, you've endured the pain. I have. Um, <laughs> It is what it is. Maybe we'll hear from you after the print. You do. You do. You're a trooper. (laughs) All right. Up next, Mike Santoli joins us with his midday word. We're back after this. All right. Senior markets commentator Mike Santoli from the New York Stock Exchange with his midday word. So how how do you feel today? Um, You know, three down, two to go. We're talking about the mega caps and I guess once once a mega cap in uh, Meta. Yeah, for sure. Uh, right. We talked last night. It's descending past the top 20 uh, largest stocks in the S&P 500. Look, I think that it continues a story that's been underway more quietly all year, which is the many over the few. Um, you know, you have the, the small caps up one percent today. The equal weighted S&P, it's up eight and a half percent this month versus seven for the market cap weighted version. That's been the story. Now, Apple has been just completely its own species. Uh, it's not really behaved like a tech stock. Um, it's not even really behaved like a consumer staple. So uh, it's, it's essentially been the, uh, the answer for, uh, for everybody fleeing something else. And we'll see if that can continue, because what's fascinating is nobody went into this earnings season, I keep saying, with high hopes that it's going to be a beat and raise uh, type story across the board. I just still also don't think that's the case when it comes to Apple. So you obviously don't want to see you know, further negative commentary about what in demand is or whether they're going to have to be belt tightening even more than people thought. But I think it's its own thing. I'm, I'm not sure that it fits into the theme of what we've heard out of Meta, uh, Alphabet, and Microsoft just yet. You know, it kind of goes to what Kramer was saying about if you look at the Dow, right, which is up 320, um, psychology has shifted, right, to the companies that are just doing different things uh, that are more focused on what's working now in the market. Right, exactly. And, 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 you know, you were still having this process underway all year of the, you know, the top five of the NASDAQ, which were the top five of the S&P, they, they just had these massive premiums that had to come out. They're no, no, no longer as special fundamentally in terms of their growth rate. So I do think that's correct. And, and so therefore, uh, regular old stocks that can capitalize on a still growing nominal economy are doing fairly well. By the way, can we also please stop saying yields down means tech up? I've been saying for two years, it's just not as simple as that. And you're seeing that in the last couple of days. Hey, we didn't, we didn't say that at all today. So we're listening. No. We hear you. Good job. (laughs) I'll see you in a few hours. That's Mike Santoli down at the Stock Exchange. Coming up, wealthy investors are making bigger bets on one risky area of the market. We're following that money next. All right, welcome back to Halftime. High net worth investors boosting their exposure to cryptos this year despite the crash. So says Kate Rooney, who's following that money for us. What do we know here, Kate? Hey, Scott, that's right. Professional and wealthy investors are still buying crypto this year. That's according to an annual survey from Fidelity Digital Assets. 58% of institutional investors, they say, bought cryptocurrencies in the first half of the year, even as Bitcoin at the same time fell about 60%. That data was up about six points from the same time last year. Meanwhile, 74% say they plan to invest in crypto in the future. High net worth buyers drove those results. Almost half of those surveyed say they now own crypto. Financial advisors were the next biggest group, and then pension funds and endowments still have the lowest allocation, and they tend to be the most risk-averse of that group. The top reason for buying right now, more than 40% see crypto as an asset with high potential upside or an innovative tech play, 
And despite its correlation with the NASDAQ and the QQQ, a quarter of institutional investors are still banking on crypto as something that they say is uncorrelated to other assets. I asked the head of research over at Fidelity Digital Assets about that. He says these clients tend to be longer term investors who are willing to wait for some of those other use cases to play out. The biggest barrier to entry, though, half of respondents still say it's price volatility. They also mentioned lack of fundamentals to gauge its value and then security, possible market manipulation and regulatory risk. Scott, back to you. All right. Kate Rooney, thank you very much for that. We'll take a break. Come back. We'll do final trades next. Well, it's big in overtime today, as you know, Uh, Apple and Amazon and carries even more importance, I think, after what we got from Microsoft and Alphabet and Meta. Stephanie Link will be with me uh, on set along with Dan Ives. You know, he's going to break everything down along with Alex Kantrowitz as well. So I'll see you then a few hours from now. Jenny, why don't you give me a final trade here? Got a little bit of time, too. Thanks. So if you've been tracking my final trades, you know my theme for the whole year has been keep you safe, keep you out of harm's way. And I think this is in the same category. It's not a home run. Clearway Energy, they are a producer of renewable energy. It trades at seven times earnings with a four and a quarter yield. If you don't mind a lack of liquidity, you can buy the A shares and you get a little more yield for them. Okay. Amy, what do you have for us today? I have Impinged. I've spoken about it on the program before. The company reported last night. It's a small cap semiconductor company making all-time highs. Great technology, great positioning. Look at it if you don't know it. Okay, Josh? Uh, U.S. Aerospace and Defense ETF, ITA. This thing is up on the year with the S&P down about 20%. Also would like to say it is amazing. We made it an hour without talking about the Fed even for a second. I love it. This is true. This is true. Joe. So Merck. And I've been talking about Merck now for the better part of the year. Forget that I own it personally. It's indicative of the market environment we have now. And if you're not willing to change, you're not going to have success in the market. It was there for you in Q1. There are stocks that are working in this environment. And Merck is the type of stock. It's defensive. Look at it. Up 30 percent year to date at an all time high. Give us a last thought here. 30 seconds that we have left less than that 20 on what what lies ahead tonight. And the importance of that. I, I'm not overly excited. Uh, I just uh, which is a shocker because normally no, this is like the Super Bowl. Yeah. Night. No, well, I, I just don't <laughs> think there's the potential for the market to yeah. really move to a lot All higher right. on this. Yeah, it's right. Super Bowl. Put your helmet on. Yeah. Seriously. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. All right. I'll see all of you then in overtime. You've been listening to CNBC's halftime report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.